Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns-Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. My life is a spike with pain and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Somber, sweet and sour, Jane, and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Pleasure spike with pain. Hi, Smushy. Hi, Smushy Angel. How are you doing on the road of life? I'm good. I'm good. Just kind of getting over jet lag finally after seven days. It's a lot. You've already been on the go the whole time. So I don't know how you settle into that when you're always moving. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know how musicians and people who tour for a living do this. Such a huge output of energy. I agree. I think it's huge, bigger than we know. And I also think about people who have to constantly travel for a living and go back and forth and go to their homes and then travel for work. I I don't know how you sustain a rhythm. Mm-hmm. My ancestors were nomads, and I don't know how they did that. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. Same. I wonder if I'm just spoiled or sensitive or a combination of who knows. Yeah, we only know what we know. I think that really leads us into a question, Sushi, already, you know, about life. You're born into the road of life as you're told life is. And then I so wonder about how we come to some kind of individual credo about what life is and how it works here. I've been thinking about it because recently... I've entered quite a number of conversations that took me surprise by the individual at some point saying, well, Julie, that's the way life is, Mm. except each conversation was about something different. And then each person told me that's the way life is about something that had nothing to do with my previous conversation. And all of those conversations, was it just sort of like deferring to life being hard? Some of them were about life being hard in specific ways, and some were about what you have to do to get ahead. Some of them were about like what somebody did in responding to traffic. And, you know, when somebody kind of jeopardized their safety. And I don't know, even like how to respond to an injustice. That's the way life is. Or like establishing what their role was, or what you're here for, or the way love works. Uh, Somebody else was telling me about an athlete, about their injuries, and they're like, that's the way life is. Each one of those times, Mushi, you know me too well, not to know that I wasn't internally opening up a brand new file in my (laughs) observations, just going, what? You think that's what life is for? That's the way life is is like the end, you know, like if we were meant to fly, we would have wings kind of statement. And I always react when something sounds Calvinistic, you know, like that's just the way it is. You inherited it and we're not supposed to aspire for it to get better. What do you think about that? I think people just say that when they don't have an answer for something 
or they just feel defeated by life or they don't think that there's something bigger than that? You know, I don't think it takes a very long time or a great deal of intelligence for any human being to like be born and somewhere in that early experience they begin to notice or experience just like how how disappointing or fraught with peril or confusing life can be. I don't think it takes talent to come to that part of that's the way life is. One thing I think gets my attention a great deal is I wonder why we quickly make that our final summary and conclusion. Like, how come we don't notice a million and one times when it goes magical, when a rainbow does come after a storm, when someone does give you something unasked, or someone who's a perfect stranger helps you out or engages with you in a way that helps you on your way. I think because on some level, I feel like we expect that. Why? Well, because I don't think anybody anticipated life to be hard. And so when you do, when it does go your way, you're just like, yes, this is what it's supposed to be like. It doesn't feel like something you need to call out unless it's like really magically divine or maybe, you know, it's like something rare, but... It's genius. I think that's so true. I'm sorry to mean to interrupt you. I think that's so profound because given the fact that you are born, part of us knows we're supposed to have a mother who does whatever you believe a mother is supposed to do, be, bring, look like, feel like, uh, encourage, not encourage, discipline, not discipline, provide, and a father the very same. We think it's a given. I deserve this. I'm supposed to get these things from them onward to the family of man. Yeah, because that's how they're defined. That's what we're received. Like even in cartoons and everything, like from the time you're young, you're mirrored back that the, this is a mom. This is what a mom does. You know, in school, everything, you just compare everything to a standard of like the definition of a mother or a father or whatever. But isn't that our place that we are lodged in, literally stuck in our growth? Aren't we making an erroneous assumption that the world owes us, life owes us something better than what we got? I mean, it's hard because you get it so young. So how are you supposed to make that kind of deduction when you're little? Well, I guess that's my question. Where does our concept of this is what life is, where does it come from? And I know, you know, nature versus nurture is a constant question in development, but also with philosophers like socialization versus what we're born inherited, even our physiology, what we have literally inherited. But if, for example, we pollute the air, it is a given that everyone has the human right to breathe fresh air. But if we pollute it, who are we blaming? What are we looking for? Why are we concluding that's the way life is? Rather than, wow, let's do research, make changes, and stop polluting the air. Let's clean it up and start again. 
Isn't it the same about anything you could like extrapolate from life and our experiences? And if somebody, just one person in your upbringing saw one gem about you, a true gem, not their projection of what they wished you to be or what they want you to become for many, many reasons, but what you are. Don't you want to pay it forward to everyone else you meet? Mm -hmm. Rather than say, I only got that one gem. Yeah, but some people don't even get that one until way later. Yes. And some people get a whole lot like a silver spoon in their mouth from the beginning and then lose it all and never get it back. Do you remember that children's show, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Fred Rogers said he left behind these series. Actually, his wife published a series of his sayings that he didn't know she'd collected all the years of their lives together. They're actually so profound. They're very far from a preschooler's state of mind. And one of his sayings is, maybe you were born with many blessings. Maybe you were born with one. But he said, it's not how many you're born with that determines who you become. It's what you do with them. Mm. I wonder where that wisdom would come from in life. Where are we taught life is always going to be so many things for you? Great things, disappointing things, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey of life. Many things. You're going to meet dragons and you're going to meet sirens of the sea who are going to call you out and crash on the rocks. But you have to prepare yourself for what you meet because it's your, your life, not the life. That's what I wonder about, like where we get it, you know. And why we don't want to pass on every gem we get. Why instead do we collect it, hold it like it's a scarce commodity, and then not be quick to pay it forward, pass it on, share it, divide it, allocate it, multiply create it so others can experience it too. Even though it'll always be a little bit different when it comes from us as like when we, I don't know, when we received it. I feel like... One thing about our westernized world is how news is everywhere. Actually, I want to take that back. I think news is available everywhere, even in the tiniest village and the smallest island. News spreads fast. But why always bad news spreads fast, you know? And of course, here, we're inundated. Because you want to prepare. You don't prepare for good news. You don't need to do anything with good news. If there's bad news, you want to know about it so you can prepare so that it doesn't happen to you or you can protect yourself from it or whatever it is. Whereas with good news, I think that it like makes you feel good, sure, but I don't think a lot of people are as interested in it. Yeah, that's why I wonder because if we spread that the good news was our reality, wouldn't we be just like queuing up to make more rather than we're sort of Pavlovian, like we've been trained to react to bad news 
And all day, I know I have many friends who listen to the news all day, several times a day, as if maybe they'll learn something worse about it that will be the final, like, ah, it can't get worse than this. This is the final show. But of course, it never is true. And then what's weirder to me is that we watch equally negative dramas on television all night. So (laughs) you get bad news all day, and then you love watching the worst news at night. I don't know, Sushi. I mean, it's kind of like people who are really accustomed to eating fast food. They don't want healthy food. It tastes bad to them. doesn't matter how beautifully it was grown or how sustaining it is for their body. It's not satisfying. It doesn't taste good. It's like you've accustomed yourself to something else. So you think we've accustomed ourselves to this is just the way life is? Yeah, I think a lot of people have. You know, when I was out of this country for just under a decade and I returned, of course, I lived in a place that didn't have access to a lot of electronics. So media was something you collected through other people or visiting a place. And, you know, you could kind of tap into what was going on everywhere in the world. But when I got back here, the one thing that floored me was how quickly our culture not just changed, but deteriorated. And that with media, we used to have sort of a limit, even, for example, in entertainment, quote unquote, prime time entertainment hours. There were restrictions of what you could thematically present in a drama and, you know, how much violence, what kind of violence, nudity, how much nudity. You couldn't really explore the complexities or the the darkness of those things. And all of that had been removed in less than a decade. And I was sitting at the dinner table with my dad and something came on. He was, you know, watching something. And I was like, whoa, dad, turn the channel. And he looked at it and then he looked at me quizzically and he said, oh, Jewel, it's just television. And I was like, you eat food and watch that now? He was like, I don't even pay attention to it. It's more like watching me than me watching it. And I was like, yeah, but you're taking it in. Like, this is life. This is the new standard. That's what I mean. How is it we're not noticing what's happening to us as a result? I think that's what forms us to think that's what life is for real. You know, art, you know how they say, does life imitate art or does art imitate life? I guess it's a bit of both. Mm. Sushi, have you ever heard people joke about that, like, they didn't receive the handbook or the manual to life. Yeah, or just wish that there was one. Mm, definitely. Myself included. I wish there was like a dummy's guide to life. Like you realize how many holy books are on our planet from so many backgrounds of spiritual wisdoms. We have so much. Isn't it amazing? Nobody's just created like the dummy's book and guide to life from a spiritual overview. 
And then you could go, oh, I could come from this principle, or I could rely on practicing this in myself, or I could have faith, or I could just work together. There's so many possibilities. Yeah, but we're not integrated like that. You're supposed to choose one. And if you don't, if you choose that one, then you can't believe in the other ones. And you know, it's like you're a part of this culture now and you do these things and you associate with these people. And it's like, we're, we're not integrated at all in any way. Like we don't even realize, uh, like your dad watching TV, it's like, he has no idea. And to be honest, neither most people, including me fully, what him watching that content while eating was actually doing in his body or to his spirit, or anything. Most mm. people don't make the connection between eating and your emotions, or spirituality and your life. You know, it's like we're completely disjointed. Most people operate either from a very physical place, or they're like super woo-woo, or some have some two parts that kind of integrate well. But for the most part, we don't know how one thing affects the other because nobody's taught us and nobody's talking about it. But what's the point of an education? What's the point of learning wisdom? What is the point of a practice of any kind, even just breathing in and breathing out, if we don't become more evolved as a result? Totally. But who are those people that teach us those things? How do we get that education? Because it's not something standardized. It's not something you just like sign up for. It's hard to get. Like, how do you know to become integrated that you can have multiple sides to you, that you could believe in multiple things, that everything affects you, that everything is connected that you are connected to everybody else. You know, it's like you talk about things like how we control the weather. You tell anybody that they're going to think the normal person is going to think you're crazy because it's like, what, what do you mean? But we haven't made the connection even between us and our environment. We just haven't done any of that work. And I don't know if there are teachers or people that, we can go to readily that show us those things. Smushy, we have them everywhere. But what we have to do is make choices. We have to choose wisdom over ignorance. Now, why don't we all start being drawn to the one thing that does work? I agree. I didn't get the life hack book. I didn't get the user manual to a higher purpose life, or even how to survive life. But one thing I did is I was born with a design like everyone was that has both the particle, the concrete part of us, and the wave, the spirit part of us. Every one of us has that option at every second of our life. So you can make the decision to come from one place or the other at any time. You can be totally concrete operational, me and mine, or you can come from that abstract part of us. All I'm saying is, I know we weren't born with this great manual we wish we had. And some people 
hold a great grudge against the greater, higher divine that it didn't provide them with it. We are it. We're it. We are the remnants of that great power. So it's up to us. If we learn one thing, if we understand one thing, if the rest of the things leave us clueless and we're terrible at, then that's not what life is for. What do you think would make life easier for you? Like one thing that would make it easier if you had access to what or one tool? I don't know. I think for me, one good friend can really be a game changer for me because they are not just a mirror to me about me, which we've talked about before, the power of friendship. But also it's because I trust if someone's my close friend, I trust their ability to see, to know, and then reflect that back to me. So if they share a new perspective, I go, oh my gosh, wow, I never thought of it that way. Thank you. Smushi, you do that for me all the time. Yeah, you for me. Did you think of an answer? Yeah. I mean, I think community is always huge. You know, it's like, just having people in your life that can do that across different disciplines. I think it's important to have diversity. I mean, I think that it's important to have people in your life that aren't just pleasing to you, that are different, that are unique, that you may not necessarily hang out with, but it's good to just be around. And maybe that comes comes from me growing up in a diverse spiritual community where I would go to Sunday gatherings or like children's classes or whatever. And I was exposed to so many different kinds of people that were in my community that I would never really be friends with or hang out with otherwise. But in hindsight, I'm so happy I was around them and I had them in my life because it kind of spread my idea of the world. And it also taught me from a young age that you could be around people and still have love for them and accept them, even though they're not your people per se. Like if you have just one thing in common or you're working towards the same thing or I don't know. Yeah, I so agree. I mean, you and I often joke that all the different service we've done in through the Baha'i community has joined us with groups that we never would have ordinarily chosen to work with, and it really allowed us to feel more comfortable in any setting. You know, you go into like something that's hardship for you, and you've already done it 50 other ways, 50 other times in different places with even less available in terms of resources, and you know how to feel at home with humans. You know, you can go anywhere and you can feel like, oh, this is another branch of my human family that I never met before. I love that people aren't strangers to us. Yeah, it's true, Smishy. It's true, Smishy. Well, Smishy, if um, someone had a handbook about the overview of life, your manual to life, and had spiritual wisdom and emotional life hacks and tools and emergency kits. Is there something that you wish that you could just put in your pocket as a tool? What do you mean? If there is one thing you wish you had this tool in your back pocket, 
It could help prepare you for change. It could help you deal with the unknown or when you get angry or hurt or disappointed. Or maybe it's an intellectual tool, but maybe it is an emotional tool, like a way to diffuse it and neutralize it before it totally gets absorbed into your being. Mm. God, if I could have a tool that could like eliminate fear or just be able to like push it to the side so that I could see things devoid of fear. Oh, yes, totally. To really see things as they are all the time without the fear of what could happen or what's going to happen or how I'm going to look or what, you know, whatever, all the things that would be my one tool. That would be, I think, I wish there was a whole chapter in that book (laughs) (laughs) about dismantling fear and how to identify what's going to promote fear instead of your wisdom, your innate gifts and wisdom. That's something I'd love to talk about. Yeah? Yeah. Dismantling fear. Okay, Sushi. Let's do it another time. (laughs) 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 You know, um, it makes me think of this friend of mine. Uh, We went to dinner with his son at the time who was four and a half. And he was so cute that people would just come up and they'd want to get closer and closer to look at him because he was so cute. It was almost surreal. And he was such a sensitive. And so my friend, his father, taught him to anytime he's uncomfortable with people, put a shield around himself and just shut it down and create a barrier so that nobody was in his personal space. So we were at dinner one night. My friend excused himself to go to the bathroom. And I was sitting with a son. We're having a conversation when this couple came over and they did a double take and then they stepped in too close. And I watched his son look at me and then go blank. And then he didn't speak or blink or anything. (laughs) That's another good tool to have a shield. It's a good one. Community building is essential, but also courtesy is. And don't go where you've not been invited. Mm. Yes, Vichy. I wish I'd had a shield. Mm. But also, I would love to have like, a hidden agenda translator. Wouldn't that be amazing? And then before anybody enters your personal space, it enters the translator. And now, plain as day, what's announced is all their hidden agendas about you, what the projection is really about, where it's really coming from, that it's really their stuff and maybe their history, and it has nothing to do with you at all. That would be amazing. Yeah, I want that handbook. Oh, my gosh. I mean, in between those couple tools, it'd just be unstoppable. Seriously. That's the book I want to read. Well, Smishy, you got to write it. (laughs) Want to co-write it? (laughs) I can illustrate it. (laughs) Well, Smishy, I know it was sort of ambiguous to talk about such a grand, sweeping subject as, you know, life and how it works. But I hope we talk more about it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a lot to chew off, but I think that 
everything you shared today kind of gets you really percolating about some other things. So thank you. Thank you, Smushy. Well, I hope you get to stay put for at least another day so that you don't have to constantly be in the throes of jet lag. Thank you. Until next time. Until then, Smushy. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.